Play the Tears for Fears. Get it queued up. Bask in it. The Jazz own the best record in the NBA for the first time in franchise history. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm JP Chunga. Brian Windhorse, ESPN's own, their NBA insider. He's going to join us on the pod in just a moment. Let me keep it real brief off the top. We got more podcasts dialed up for you coming here in the next couple days. Big guests, the best NBA guests for a podcast about the Utah Jazz. Hearing from national names and enjoying the fact that the path is clear. The bracket is set. We're going to find out over these next few days in the playing who this team is going to be facing in the first round. And we'll have you covered alongside with it. Podcast brought to you by Bailey's Moving and Storage. We move you every step of the way, near or far, big or small. It's Bailey's Moving and Storage. The best stat that I saw from everything at all is seeing the standings by date for the Jazz this year. What they were able to accomplish over this condensed schedule, having to travel so much, the series type games that you're playing against the Spurs or the Mavericks or the Lakers, back-to-backs, having to go on a trip over the entire eastern seaboard in January. Well, for the 145 days that the NBA season happened, the regular season, the Jazz were the number one record in the West for 105 days. 72% of the season, Utah was at the top of the standings. They were doing what Justin Zanuck and Dennis Lindsay said all the way back to that Vegas press conference when they introduced Mike Conley and Boyan Bogdanovich. They did the top five offense, top five defense thing. According to Cleaning the Glass, number three offense, number one defense. They were blitzing teams, scored a franchise record for threes, only team to have the most threes made while giving up the fewest. They've done things that are perfectly suited to the way that this roster was constructed, the way Justin Zanuck, Dennis Lindsay, David Morway, the entire crew got it together and made this team. Everybody's perfectly cast in their roles. And on top of the 52 wins that they accomplished this year, it was done down the stretch without Mike Conley for a couple games and without Donovan Mitchell for a stretch. Donovan missed the last 16 games. Remember when it was dire? Team was missing him against the Timberwolves. Now they missed him throughout the entire run, but they were still able to do it. They did it while the Suns were hard charging. And for that, there's no reason for this team to be taken lightly when it comes to the postseason and when they figure out who they're playing. We'll know Friday night. As a loser of Lakers-Warriors plays the winner of Spurs-Grizzlies, and it's the best of seven from there. I want to unload on the playoff bracket just yet because we get into it with Brian Windhorse. And we'll have more opportunities to talk about the bracket on the next podcast. But one accomplishment. Seriously. This is, this is some big stuff. And to see how far the team has gone, how things have changed during the pandemic, what they've gone through together, the low of lows that you felt after the team gave up a 3-1 lead, 
to the Nuggets after that Conley shot rattles in and out to where you are now, seeing that they took that all, bonded together after being in a resort for a couple months. They did enough to earn the number one seat. And there are advantages to it. You got home court. You're guaranteed to be favored in your first round. And then you can see the end of the tunnel. So cherish the moment. Enjoy. We're talking it next with Brian Windhorse. Please, if you're listening, let others know about the podcast. Five stars, nice reviews, that's all I ask of you. Help jazz fans find us. Numbers are looking great. I'm glad that you guys are listening. And I'm excited for you to hear the great guests that we have coming up. Plus, this is the podcast guy here. We've got good episodes with Ingles Insight returning, courtside calls continuing. Another will be in your feed soon enough. Exciting times here on the podcast, Bates. Make sure to stick around to the end. Extra treat for you. But now, ESPN's Brian Windhorse, NBA Insider, New York Times bestselling author, LeBron Inc. I had to get a LeBron question in there with Wendy. But we started off recapping the day. How will you remember Sunday as you see what the NBA does with the play-in tournament, with all the machinations that could have occurred? How will you remember that playoff implication day of basketball? Please enjoy Brian Windhorse. When it comes time to move, it's always a hassle. Loading everything in the truck, hoping the priceless antique from your mother doesn't break, and trying to juggle the kids and dog in the middle of it all is enough to drive anyone crazy. But it doesn't have to be that way. The friendly, background-checked movers at Bailey's Moving and Storage have the expertise to move your family across town or even around the world. So when it's time to move, think Bailey's Moving and Storage. Call today at 801-218-2640 or check them out online at baileysallied.com. Well, it was a Sunday afternoon, and I was watching a Wizards-Hornets game intently. I can, can't say I can remember that on Sunday afternoons too many times. Um, and still have not gotten my thoughts correctly, how I want to articulate what the Clippers did. Um, really, you know, if I was the Jazz, I don't know if I were the Jazz, how I would interpret that. They... It kind of targeted the Jazz. I mean, I don't, they won't, they're hiding behind the injury um, excuse that they didn't want to play their guys because they were um, afraid of injury. But that's just not true, um, especially if you watch the game and the way they actually played the game. And um, I think they called like, maybe 15 post-up plays for Daniel Oturu, which is just laughable. And um, so I don't know how I, that was, it was a very amazing game. I mean, I, it wasn't, it wasn't important to watch Portland Denver because that was settled and it wasn't really important to watch jazz sack because that wasn't really close. And um, I ended up watching a game between the, one of the worst teams in the league and, the Clippers trying to understand how to, I mean, definitely there is a strategic decision that they made to be on a certain side of the bracket. And it's possible that will work out for them, but I just can't respect the decision that they made uh, to tank. And uh, uh, 
you know, if I were the Jazz, and the Jazz have a lot of work to do before they would possibly see the Clippers, but if I were the Jazz, I would be like, um, boy, uh, this is what they think of us. Um, they think that we're a pushover. They think that we're we're the path to pick. I would I would use that in some way, shape, or form. But that's what I did yesterday. It was a strange result for sure, and just the buildup of it with the Clippers losing the Rockets, and you have to realize, oh, something's happening here. They're, they're clearly picking something. Is it advantageous for them, this playoff path that they're going through? Because if, if Luka has an impressive series, that could be a competitive one just to start off in the first round. Well, I mean, it seems to me they were trying to avoid a possible matchup with the Lakers in the first yeah. round. That's what it seems to me. Um, if you're a Jazz fan, you can play it as they don't respect us, which maybe they don't. Um, I know that there's history there. But um, that, to me, seems to be what they want. They didn't want to have the, 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 the concept of facing the Lakers in the first round. And I don't understand this because I think the Lakers – I think Jared Dudley basically said this after the game last night, which is that um, – if you're going to play the Lakers, you probably want to play them early as opposed to late because you figure they're only going to get better. Um, it is a, it, it really kind of messed with the Jazz because the Jazz had this golden path that was sort of laid out in front of them. I mean, you know, this group of this this group of uh, Jazz players haven't made a deep playoff run yet, so I don't want to make any assumptions, but if they had truly been on the opposite side of the bracket as the Lakers Clippers and Suns, that would have been potentially pretty advantageous. So um, I don't really think, I mean, they, they potentially had a really valuable number one seed. It's still pretty valuable, but um, you're now looking at a potential second round matchup that will take probably most of what you have to try to win it in seven. So um it definitely had a, a lot, the way it all played out had a lot to do with um, you know, how the last day of the season played out. Are you in the camp of pick your opponent for the top seeds? Something that's been a discussion with the play-in tournament. Uh, it's not really up to you who you're playing with those two games. Another thought comes that the top two seeds would be able to pick their opponent, obviously would give bulletin board material to the team that you pick, but would be more opportunity to, to prepare a scout for a team that you think you have a better matchup against. Yeah, I can definitely see why it's a discussion. And since they've done it in the G League, which is the Petri dish of the NBA, I can see why it's theoretically possible. Um, the other thing is, is that historically – we have seen first round series in the, with the top seeds be kind of boring, kind of bland, um, a whole lot of sweeps and gentlemen sweeps. You do occasionally get surprised, um, but mostly it's been, you know, you're just sort of going through the, the motions for two weeks, 10 days to get to the second round. Um, I'm not sure that would spice it up at all. Um, in you know, it would be really come down to whether the league thought it would have some sort of benefit to the league. And what the league is trying to do is create more competition. The league wants, um, uh, you know, people often make conspiracy theories about 
what the league office wants. I'm going to tell you what the league office wants. The league office wants games. That sounds trite. What are you talking about? The league office wants games. The league office wants every series to go seven games because that is more revenue. And so when you look at decisions that the league makes in rel relative to changing playoff situations, it really should start with, is there a revenue-based reason for doing it? If there's a revenue-based reason for doing it, then it's probably going to have a better chance to happen. Let me give you classic examples. The three biggest changes to the playoffs in the last 15 or last 20 years. One first round series going from best of five to best of seven. Why do we think they did that? <laughs> More money. More games, baby. <laughs> right. Um, the elimination of giving preferred seeding to division winners. That was so that the coastal divisions, it was so all divisions, but specifically the coastal divisions, they didn't want the bigger city, you know, the, the coastal, the, the leagues, the, the divisions that had coastal cities in it to be disadvantaged, um, uh, you know, because they, you know, happened to lose their, you know, because Oklahoma City won their division or whatever, whatever happens. And then three, the play-in tournament, which is to what, more games. Maybe I'm missing something, but those are the three big changes that they've made. And those were all, at least in significant part about revenue. So if it doesn't have a revenue portion of it, I don't know if it's going to happen, um, even though you could make a strong basketball argument for what you just said. Well, and, and not to get down the rabbit hole, but that's why your discussion about the midseason tournament makes sense with adding more games and getting another opportunity to have these dates where you're playing games against NBA competition and there could be stakes attached to it as a carrot to those teams to play those games at a high level. Yeah, for sure. I mean, um, uh, you know, Adam Silver is a huge European soccer fan, not just because he likes soccer, but because he, um, he loves the revenue that it produces. And I mean, if you spend any time over there, you know, you go to like these neighborhoods in South London and see, I mean, I always, talk about this one soccer match that I went to in, at Crystal Palace, um, mm -hmm. which is actually owned in part by Josh Harris, who owns the 76ers. This is a dump. I think they're renovating it now. It's actually the stadium that um, if you saw Ted Lasso, it's a stadium that they play yep. in. And um, let me just say about this stadium that they play in. Um, one of the... Uh, the stadium is used as a grocery store. There is a grocery <laughs> store in the stadium because they needed to rent it out because if they had had hardship at one point. So there's a Stainsbury's grocery store, which is like a Safeway um, in, uh, in London, in the end zone uh, of one of the, uh, of one of the ends of this. And this is a extraordinarily valuable club because they've got, people from all over the world watching them on television because they get all of these different television uh, contracts and stuff. And while they're probably never going to win the premier league um, it's very strange. You're like in this neighborhood in London, there's this grocery store 
that you walk past as you go in the stadium. And then there's the lot of player cars and it's all Bentleys and Rolls Royces. Okay. <laughs> so this is why Adam Silver gets very excited about the midseason tournament because it's another thing to sell, another thing to pedal to gamblers, another thing to get people overseas interested in, another thing for teams to win. And um, so I know it's kind of crude and it's not fun always to talk about, but the NBA is a business, and particularly since Adam Silver took over. Now, his tenure for the last two years has been marked by fighting the pandemic. But before that, his tenure was basically focused on revenue generation, <laughs> you know, the push towards gambling, the jersey patch. Um, uh, so this is part of what's going on in the league right now. Is there a European Super League that he might look at, too, if he's looking to soccer more? If he could, he would. But it would be kind of be difficult to pull that off. But if he could, he would. Um, <laughs> I won't go into, you know, this is, we're talking about the NBA, so I won't go into yeah. long-winded there. But um, uh, if he could, he would. Back to the playoffs, did the Jazz get the number one seed? What was your takeaway from them earning that seed? Mentioned earlier off the top, it could have been a more valuable seed in the playoff path, but ultimately they get it. What's it a credit to who could they get in that awards celebration, whether it's Rudy with the Defensive Player of the Year, Jordan Clarkson with the sixth man, or even Quinn getting up there in the top three for Coach of the Year? Yeah, I turned in my ballot yesterday. I voted for Rudy. I voted for Jordan. Coach of the Year was a real tough one. Yeah, they're, um, they're great candidates across the league from Monty yeah. to Tom Thibodeau. Uh, I love the way the Jazz play. So um, 2000, 2007 to 10 ish, there was all of these attempts made across the league to replicate the Spurs. Um, they sent out a whole bunch of coaches and a whole bunch of um, executives to places. I mean, that had been going on. There were Spurs executives that had been going out for a while, but um, a whole bunch of Spurs executives went out into the world. Um, Dennis Lindsay was one of them. Quinn Snyder was one of them. And, you know, there's been all these attempts at places to recreate the Spurs and their incredible defense first, share the ball offensively um, style. The Atlanta Hawks in 2014-15 were the closest. Um, run put together by Danny Ferry, who was the, what the Spurs he was a GM and the coach, Mike Budenholzer, who was an assistant with the Spurs. Um, they were so close. Um, they won 60 games. They had three or four all-stars. Incredible ball-sharing offense. Um, good defense, not great, but good defense. Unfortunately, they played against LeBron, and um, he was great. And they, he just, they just couldn't get past him. He beat him several years in a row, and it broke up. But that was the closest there were. Not only that, but just this, or, this organizational – focus on basketball and development and and let's draft well and develop well and all this stuff that was the closest i've seen until the jazz the jazz play the spurs ideals and it's kind of been a little bit forgotten now because the warriors became the new ideal um with all the shooting and stuff like that but the jazz are like the spurs the jazz are like the spurs that won the titles in 2007 and 2013 share the ball deep, tremendous defensive center, 
you know, Gobert is better than Duncan defensively. Obviously not as good offensively. Um, same concept set up by a Spurs executive and a Spurs, former Spurs coach. And um, I don't know, did he ever, did, he ever, did, did Quinn ever actually coach Spurs? Was he just in Austin? Just in Austin. Okay. But it's the same thing. It's the same, you know, practically the same thing. And um, so I love the way they play. I love the way they share the ball. I love the way they defend. Um, I had some questions about Donovan's ability to um, win at the, end, at the end of games. I was a little bit concerned that his size was going to hold him back. Um, those doubts have pretty much been erased. Erased a lot last year in the playoffs. And they, even though that was a short stay, but I love the way he played. And I saw him just take over a bunch of games this year. I just love him. I love everything about him. I, you know, I, I don't know if, um, you know, what I don't know is if, if Royce will shoot the ball like this and defend like this in the conference finals, if they get there, but there should be no reason why he won't. Um, you know, Jordan Clarkson was a guy who in his first playoffs in Cleveland completely curled up into a little ball um, was completely horrified. It was as if he was thrown into the deep end of the pool as a kid, but he was much better last year. So I'm not as worried about that anymore. Um, you know, I have some, you know, I have some, questions about guys who haven't done it. I mean, but Boyan, um, you know, I covered the Pacers Cavs series, LeBron's last year in Cleveland, went seven games. Um, LeBron was the best player in the series and Boyan was the second best player. So uh, I'm a believer in him. I'm a believer in Conley. I've covered a number of playoff series with him. So I, I think they've got it. I think they can absolutely do it. Um, whether or not they can survive an onslaught of a guy like LeBron at full power, which I don't know if he's going to be, you know, not many people have, like I said, great teams have fallen under that sword in the past, but um, I love, uh, I love what the jazz have done all year. I love the way they were built. Um, I have huge respect for Quinn. I have huge respect for Dennis. Um, you know, I have a, I have a good relationship with uh, Rudy and Donovan. Um, I like them a lot. I mean, I just, I like, I have a long-standing relationship with David Morway uh, in the front office. Um, I think Joe Ingles is a wonderful person. <laughs> um, I, I there, there's just, there's just a lot to like about this team. Does it all add to a championship? Well, they're going to give it a try. I mean, they've got a championship style team. Um, well, I mean, we'll see, but there's a lot to like about it. They have a bunch of guys who could have that playoff game against somebody, whether it's Boyan blowing up for a 30-pointer or, or Jordan Clarkson yeah. igniting on, on that sixth man. Mike Conley, who, I mean, since seventh grade, probably hasn't been the best player on his team because he played with Greg Oden mm -hmm. on, on the AAU squad, and then he goes with Marc Gasol. He could still have a, a really good playoff game in him and, and I think that's going to be their advantage when they go against these teams that maybe have bigger, sexier stars. The depth that this team put together could lead to winning series in the end. Yeah, and I just I think that they have the two things that are the thing about this playoffs that I don't know about is I, I don't know whether or not typically when we get into the playoffs, when I say typically, I'm talking about my 18 years covering the NBA where I've made it my professional work to study these things very closely. I mean, I, I know about what happened in the eighties. I obviously watched it in the nineties 
So, but what I can say for the last 18 years is that when you get into the playoffs, every year people forget the playoffs are different than the regular season. It's easy to say, but they forget how much a difference it is. They forget what happens when a team game plans. They forget what happens when referees decide they're not going to call that hand check. They forget what happens when pressure comes in. And the games typically tighten. Um, they slow down. They Fewer shots are made. Um, fewer whistles are blown. Um, and the, the scoring comes down. Not every game, but on balance, and certainly in the big games. You know, certainly, um, you know, when it's 2-2, two, 3-2, two, two, you know, you see some stuff go on. And so I suspect that's what's going to happen again. But then again, I'm looking at all of the numbers at this season. It's screaming at me that that's not going to be the case, that it's going to be an offensive uh, playoffs just because it's been an, it's been the highest, most prolific offensive season in league history. And that a team like the Nets, who can put 145 on you, is going to put is going to do it three three or four times in a series and 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 overwhelm you and even if you beat them by twenty five in game two, what does it matter? They'll just shoot forty six percent on threes the next game. The reason the Jazz are interesting is because they can do it both. They yeah. can they can win a game, you know, one to one hundred two one hundred. They can win a game, you know, one thirty one one twenty nine. They can totally overwhelm you. Um, the three-point range and they can stop you on defense now there are occasions when their perimeter defense lets down and that is a concern for sure um but they have the depth and the style um that you would you know like to like to see in a championship contender and that's why i think they're interesting that's why i found your question to Quinn a couple weeks back about that offense. Pretty interesting. What have you gathered from you talking to other people around the league, seeing this offense being off the charts and, and looking at even that sample size that we had from the bubble where you had these crazy performances from players of offense being the tick uh, so far? This season was the number one two-point shooting season in league history, highest percentage in the history of the league. The highest percentage of three-point shooting in league history this year. The highest percentage of free throw shooting, which, you know, in theory, wasn't different from 1963 to 2021. Free throws, the same shot, right? Highest percentage ever. Last year, the Dallas Mavericks had the number one most efficient offense in the history of the league that now ranks eighth because seven teams broke that record this season alone. So you see all that and you say, wow, well, that's the trend in the league. And that's what the Nets saw when they traded for James Harden. They were like, how would we worry about getting a defensive guy when we could get James Harden? Sign Rudy Gobert for $200 million. What are you, crazy? We need three guys who can make threes for that kind of money. That's what I was asking Quinn about. And I'm going to tell you something. I've asked, I asked quite a few coaches. And not every, you know, Quinn believed that once you could game plan and once you had veteran players who could do this, that, they, that it would return to, you know, more traditional style. Not everybody believes it. 
I talked to Eric Spolster, for example, and Spoh's like, I see no indication of offense slowing down in the playoffs. I see no reason why. So to me, this is, this is, the, um, this is the big question of the postseason. That and the health of LeBron James' ankle. And uh, we'll see. I think it favors the Jazz if it goes more defensive, but they are equipped to play offense too. Is it a foregone conclusion that we're going to see the Warriors and the Lakers in that 7-8 with the Lakers taking the 7, Golden State as that final playoff team? Probably. Because um, I don't think Memphis and San Antonio are uh, dynamic enough uh, to win two games, um, especially when the second game has got to be in the, you know, in the Chase Center or Staples Center. Tell you what, though, I wouldn't count on playing the the Warriors because uh, as hot as Steph Curry is right now, he can come into Staples Center and and hit you know eleven threes and outscore them. I mean, the the thing about the Lakers is they're actually not equipped to play great offense. The Lakers, and this is you know sort of Exhibit A. The Lakers are a great defensive team. They're not a great offensive team, and they won the championship last year, so they don't. The Lakers need it to be more traditional. They need, you know, to win games 107, 105. Um, but I think it's going to be those two teams that make the playoffs, yeah. Golden State against Utah with the way that Steph's playing and seeing the on-off numbers when it comes to how that squad is played with Kelly Oubre out, with Wiseman out, Draymond and Steph, they're an elite team uh, when those two players are on the floor. How do you think that series goes if it's Golden State against Utah? Well, I think what you do there is you um, you probably say if we're gonna if we're gonna lose, it's not gonna be because we give up, um, you know, a couple of fifty point games and stuff. I think uh, I think you swarm him and say Andrew Wiggins, if you're gonna if you're gonna beat us, go ahead and beat us. And by the way, Wiggins has shown. That yeah, he may score 38 in a game and you may lose that game, but you're not, that's not going to happen four times, I don't think. So um, the other thing is that the, the Jazz have um, Rudy, who is just going to take away so much. Um, and so uh, in, that, in that situation, I would see that being a five or six game series. Um, and there would be moments, and look, that even could be game one. Steph could come in in game one score 48 and you could lose it and people were going to be like oh my god the warriors are going to make a run but the warriors were the number eight seed team for a reason because um they're inconsistent outside of stuff um they have a they they rely on uh, a lot of um young guys a lot of key positions um and you know that's i'll tell you one thing you're not going to be on nba tv it's you know, true. We'll take that will, here. You will be on TNT and ESPN. Um, but, uh, and I will say that the Lakers are probably the most potent seven or eight seed in, um, in modern history, if not ever. Um, but, you know, again, if you're going to play the Lakers, you're probably better off playing them in round one than round three. Because if you play them in round three, it means LeBron is healthy and they're playing really well. And like, look, I mean, yeah, it would be devastating if, if the Lakers ended up the eighth seed and they played the Jazz and they upset the Jazz. It would be devastating to Jazz fans and a huge setback. 
But if you can't beat the Lakers, you can't win the title. Yeah. You know, so uh, this is one of the things that drove me crazy about the Clippers. You're either going to, you're either going to play to win or you're not. It's true. And, and they, they're saying that they're the team of LA or they're battling for that LA supremacy. Well, you're going to have to play the Lakers at some point. End on this because I have the author of LeBron Inc. I mean, <laughs> got to end on a LeBron question. What kind of LeBron are we going to get when it comes to the playing in this first round? What do you think? You know, everybody, you know, is really excited about the way he played over the weekend. Um, here's where I look at. He had, he had one rebound in 27 minutes on Sunday. Um, if you watch the plays he made, I know he threw down some great dunks and that was a good, a good sign. Um, he was doing it mostly off of his left foot, his right foot. He doesn't, he doesn't look to me. Only he knows. I don't know. It's not my leg. His right foot doesn't look like it has the explosion and has the strength. Um, and this, the thing about a high ankle sprain from what I am told, I, I've never had one, is that you, you just can't really rehab it. I mean, obviously you can do stuff, but it's not like other injuries where if you spend eight hours a day working on it, then it should get better. And I'm sure he is spending that time. It just takes time. And so, you know, they may not need him at full power to win for a while, but, you know, he's probably going to be better in a month. And if he's still alive in a month, the Lakers are going to be in good shape. So I think the late, you know, I, I would never bet against him. I would, I would rather be wrong. I would rather say, Oh my God, he's going to be great. And then he's not. And they say, you're wrong. And I go, yeah, you're right. Um, but high ankle sprains. Um, it's, it's usually 12 weeks on the low end. So it's usually three months on the low end um, and we're not there yet. And it can be six months on the high end. And so we'll see. I think um, there's a case to be made that you'd like to see him sooner rather than later. It'll be a fascinating watch. Could be Jazz, Warriors, Jazz, Lakers could see LeBron in that first round. Brian Windhorse, New York Times bestselling author, ESPN, True Hoop. TV is where you found him at the beginning of this podcasting journey. And that's where I, I keyed in on him uh, for the first time. Brian Windhorse on Roundball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. Thanks for having me. Good luck. Uh, JC, you're always a whole vibe. And so as someone that listens to a lot of music, what song would you say describes your vibe and mood right now? Let me see. Let me see. Right now, uh, just for our team and Headed into the playoffs, how you're feeling, yeah. Uh, tears for fears. Uh, everybody wants to rule the world. Okay, I'm gonna go listen to that right now. <laughs> all right, that's all we've got. <laughs> <Jordan>. <laughs>